Hi and welcome to this week's Courageous Mama podcast. I just love doing this journey with you. A couple of weeks ago, I posted the idea of thinking about your family culture, of thinking ahead, past the busy needs of today and pondering what sort of adults you'd like to put into the world in a few short years. It's been interesting to see that that's piqued people's interest. The notion of a family culture seems to have appealed, especially to those of you who hadn't seen it that way and have a fresh understanding of how you can sow into the long term by thinking of some of the big questions and actually some of the smaller questions in the short term. And it seemed to have the effect on those who fed back of them feeling empowered creating and owning their own unique sense of family in spite of the influences of the world around felt empowering. And this absolutely delighted me no end because as some of you know, my heart is to equip and empower and encourage parents. So when I hear feedback that includes the feeling of empowerment or connection, it helps me to know that you have felt positively impacted. So this week, I'm moving on to how we begin to own that vision as a whole family. Yep, including the kids, the longer term vision. Now, you might be thinking, oh, but I'm a single mom and I've just got one child. Or you may be a family like us who have got five children. It doesn't matter what size your family. It's just about including the children or child in this particular part of the process. Have your kids gone through that phase yet of asking why? Why mommy? Why daddy? Why indeed? Why can't we? Why can we? Why don't we? Why do we? These are great baseline questions for family life. What is the mysterious formula underneath the permissions and limitations in their lives? I don't know about you, but I've heard the word why more than any other word over the last six months in light of COVID. I wonder why they can't go back to school. I wonder why they're going back to school. Why can we only have 15 at weddings? Why can we only have six people at christenings? Why are the pubs open? Why are the pubs shutting? Why 10 o'clock? Why don't we do it like in that country? Why doesn't that country do it like us? Why are they doing that? Why is an important question. It underlines a value system and the intention of any unit. Simon Sinek went viral on TED Talks a few years ago when he drew a very simple picture and talked about why we should start with the word why. It's profound. It's the place to start when you're thinking about establishing a business, launching a new product, an enterprise, a foundation, a team, a group. Why? Why are we doing it? Why? So it must be key for something as important as a family unit. Understanding why is foundational. When you're answering that question, you're establishing your core beliefs and your values will emerge from your core beliefs. It's a great stepping stone for all the small and large decisions in family life. Agreeing on some basic values helps children not only to understand but actually to own the basic principles of family life. 
This is an idea that was first mooted by Stephen Covey, as I mentioned in a previous podcast. But like all good ideas, it's been added to, it's been morphed and developed. Certainly families that I have worked with have fed back and come up with great creative stuff. And I dare say families all over the world who are inspired by the original idea have done the same. He called it a family mission statement. Some people call them family rules. I prefer simply family values. And at first thought, it might sound a bit intense, but when I break it down, I think it'll sound more fun. In fact, the process will be as important as the outcome. So how do you work out your family values? As I say, there are a number of ways to do it, and I'm going to give you an idea, and you can alter that to suit the tone and the flavour of your family if the idea appeals to you. The first step is to gather as a family, outside of mealtimes, no phones, everyone together, time to listen to each other and to give value to everybody's contribution. When we wrote ours, one of our children was still a baby, but I think the eldest was around 10 and I'm always amazed by what they can contribute from a very young age. I mean, what parent hasn't been surprised by what comes out of the mouths of babes? So when you tailor it to their age group, they can definitely contribute. So from about five, you can start to include them in this idea. But your assessment of your own children will be the most accurate and how you pitch it to them will obviously be the most effective if it's drawn up by you. Number two, make it yours. I have a secret stationary addiction. So it was the perfect moment for me to get the post-it notes, the fine liners, the highlighters, the large paper. It all came out. So that's how we did it. You might prefer just to chat or do it your way. So number three, make it clear. Let them know why you've gathered and why you're interested to hear their thoughts and opinions. You might say something like, we want to chat to you about things that feel important in our family. We want to hear what you think. And then start the ball rolling and let them know that you'd like to meet a few more times to think about lots of different ideas around family. I mean, you may of course nail this in one session. It took a number of sessions for us. In fact, we did it over a period of months, but we've kept it all these years. It's a baseline agreement between us all of what feels important and sometimes when I go back to it I cherish what has grown out of it. Number four, make it appealing. We used to bring hot chocolates and marshmallows to our meetings and that just added to the warmth of the gathering. You might prefer something more noble like carrot sticks. Um, I found that adding that extra dimension to the gathering heightened the sense of occasion and it brought enthusiasm. I mean your crew might not need that but it just seemed to add a little bit of extra flavour for us. Number five, make it accessible. Ask them some easy questions. What do you love about being in our family? What would you change? What family or home do you like spending time in and why? Are there some habits in other families that you don't want to see in ours? And it's not that you're looking here to put other families down, but sometimes children can identify what they don't like more easily than what they do like because they might have been on the receiving end or the experience end of something that didn't appeal to them. 
Number six, make it acceptable. You might find quite early on that they mention things that they do or don't like that you could feel a little bit of resistance to. For example, they might say, well, so-and-so is allowed as much screen time as they like. I like being in their home. Can I suggest at this point that you don't defend your position, whether it is screens or whatever it is that they've raised, even if it seems preposterous to you. Accept their ideas and their thoughts and write them down. You're not committing to anything here. You're just opening up a conversation. You're inviting them into a whole new space. And they may find it difficult at this point to define a value from a boundary. So it's better to keep it as an open conversation with everyone participating and go with the flow rather than saying, well, we're not really talking about that today because it'll shut them down and then they won't want to contribute. And once you've got the conversation up and running, you can steer it towards aspects that you'd like their input on. And have an idea about what you'd like to hear about. For example, what ways do we want to treat each other? What ways don't we want to be treated? Sometimes, again, we have stronger views about what we don't want because we've been on the receiving end and it can be easier to engage with a principle when we've experienced the outworking of its sort of negative counterpart, if you like. For example, if we don't like being shouted at, we might be more likely to buy into the idea of using a respectful voice, tone and volume in the house. Number seven enjoy the journey. As I said, the process is as important as the outcome. You may find that one subject a week is enough. We have a big family, so we covered less ground, as I said, and we did more breadth over our season, working out our different values. Know when they're getting distracted and they've had enough. They're more likely to want to come back to it if it doesn't drain them too much the first time around. And once they've got used to the idea of a family meeting, you can bring in some principles to your time together, such as not interrupting or rather letting people finish. It's not like the sort of all play of dinner times where everyone jumps in. A family meeting can have its own mini value system. Perhaps it could be helpful if they can hold something when it's that person's turn to speak and not to speak when you're not holding it. It's an old chestnut, isn't it? But it works well. Understanding everyone's ideas, even if you don't agree, is a great thing to learn too. Today's society quickly dismisses people who don't agree or vote the same way or respond to pandemics in the same way. People can get quickly denigrated, can't they, either personally or over social media in a direct or an implied way. That is the culture of the world. But your family culture can be different and it's a good place to establish that. This early practice enables them to see that actually we can get on with people who differ. You know, the notion of world peace starts in our own homes. And this is the biggest potential setback. You think differently to me. I feel threatened by that. I feel belittled if your voice is stronger. I feel rejected if your perspective is different. Let's dispel some of those myths and enable them to have an experience where they get a strong sense of self-worth, even when they're faced with someone who differs. Teach them that understanding and accepting doesn't mean we have to agree or sign anything. It doesn't actually rob us of our own perspective at all. 
And a helpful way to deal with this in the family meeting, or in fact in any difficult moment, even as adults, is to label the opinion or perspective as just that. Thank you for your perspective. Mine is different. So it's not left out there as the prevailing viewpoint. It's kind of ring-fenced as a, that's a perspective. That's very interesting. Thank you for sharing it. Many observers would say that the reason that the Brexit vote was such a surprise is that those voting to exit didn't feel safe to share their perspectives. So people didn't know how strong it was. You're setting the groundwork here for their adult life. Respectful listening. The basis for all negotiations, for peace. Not subjects that are commonly taught at a young age, are they? And number eight, try to use a loose language. That is to say, avoid saying things like, that's a good idea. And move more towards, thank you for that idea. At this stage, they need to feel that all of their ideas are worthy and nothing is in and nothing is out. So that's the basic concept of gathering together and finding your family values as a group. There's great value in meeting as a family like this. It increases your children's self-esteem. They practice listening. They feel their contribution is valuable. And of course it is. In fact, children never fail to surprise me in their depth and their considerations. They're such observers. They're often more thought through than we give them credit for. I'm just interrupting this podcast for a moment to say if you're enjoying The Courageous Mama, I think you'll love the book Parenting for Life. This is what readers have to say. This book is absolute gold dust. I bought this book to give away, but I'm keeping it. This book has so many helpful suggestions for the modern family, and it's helpful for our marriage too. This book is a must in every home. If I was able to buy just one book on parenting, this would be the book. Parenting for Life is available to listeners at a special rate on the Courageous Mama website and blog. www.thecourageousmama.com There's a link in the show notes. As your meetings progress, it can feel a little bit messy. If you're anything like us, you'll start to accumulate lots of colourful mess and post-it notes and words and ideas. And perhaps the children are adding to the paper with their ideas. Or maybe you've got a toddler scribbling on the corner. It's all okay. Or maybe you're a bit more structured and you've just got a neat list of everybody's offerings. That's great. That works for you. It just doesn't matter so long as you're capturing the essence of your children's thoughts, of your thoughts, of your partner's thoughts. Remember in podcast 15, Laura Mears talked about the five voices. You'll identify with some of that during this process with your family. Some of your children will be offering creative ideas. Maybe they aren't fully formed, they're just thoughts. And others will be leading and rounding up the thoughts of others and pioneering And it's all good, but it's quite interesting to identify their different strengths as you do these sort of things together. And take the time to clarify what your children meant without stirring too much. So, for example, if a child says, it's not fair when people borrow my things, flesh that out a bit. Thank you for that idea, darling. How do you think people should behave? What would make your things feel safe? 
And they'll get to a place where they feel there's a good articulation for their suggestion, but it's something they've come up with themselves rather than been steered in. And your questioning will help them to do that. I'm going to suggest a few more categories to get you thinking. I don't want to overload you. So next week, I'll share some more ideas and clear up any questions and feedback so that I can make sure that it's really clear for you. So what you send in will help me shape that. And remember, you can do this by emailing me on madelinestanny at icloud.com and that'll be in the show notes. And also send in your family values or your mission statement and I can share your ideas too. So let's look at those categories of questions then. Here's one. How do we want to support each other? This topic can consider how we treat each other when we've got something really important going on. It could be a sporting event, notwithstanding COVID, obviously. Maybe it's a show and tell at school that they're excited about or they're nervous about. Or perhaps a slightly older child is going to an interview for a Saturday job. Maybe they've got a friendship issue going down or a parent-teacher evening they're feeling apprehensive about. Quite often within childhood, these interactions can largely be between parent and child. But actually, if we broaden that out a bit and allow the others to come into their circumstances where they feel comfortable and safe, it can be a way of learning to support each other and celebrating their victories, walking with them through their challenges. And of course, I'm not just talking about the kids here. We can share age appropriately about the important things in our lives. It was a really big deal in our family when I dropped my first podcast. And they often check in on podcast day and they ask me about it. So you can talk about what you all want from each other, need from each other, in order to feel secure in the family unit. And what you can be for each other in those big moments. Here's another example. What sort of friendships do you as siblings want to have when you're grown-ups? That starts now, doesn't it? What do we need to do to create good friendships? What sort of things make and upset friendships? How do we like being treated? How don't we like being treated? Here's another one. What sort of feeling do we want people to experience in our home? You know, I remember chatting about this with a mum a few years ago. She was exasperated. Her parents-in-law had popped round and the kids hadn't looked up from the TV when they came in. And it was just her catalyst moment. So we chatted it through and instead of telling them that she was disappointed or she didn't like their responses or the way their grandparents were being treated, we came up with some questions to get them thinking. And she gathered them together and she poured the hot chocolate and they started to chat. And they talked about homes where they feel welcome and homes where they don't so much and what the difference is and what they would like their home to feel like and what they'd need to do in order to make that work. And they agreed that they would all come to the door when grandparents arrived. They would be ready with one question each, very important thing to teach children, to ask questions. They didn't have to stay around and chat the whole time that Granny and Grandpa were there. But when they left, they would all come to the door to say goodbye. It worked a treat and the grandparents felt more like valued guests. The kids created the culture ideas and they owned them and they carried them out. I mean, not everything will be that simple, but it is always easier when the children have been part of the creative process. 
So here are a couple more questions to ponder. These are from Stephen Covey's original concept. What are our responsibilities as family members? That's a big one, isn't it? But so important. What level of tidiness do we want to live in? Whose job is it? Which part can the children own? And here's a question of his that I love. Who are our heroes? What is it about them that we like and would like to emulate? Well, whether that's Bear Grylls, Arna or Peppa Pig, they will be able to point to things that they like about them. Choosing who inspires you and who you want to be like is liberating. It's moving the values from hidden expectations and preset agendas to their own ideals and aspirations. Creating a group of family values is so empowering for children. It helps them to operate from that place of why rather than why on earth. They come to own the values. They learn to respect other people's values as well as expect others to respect theirs. And their aim becomes for the benefit of the wider group, not just the benefit of their own preferences. That's growth, that's maturity, isn't it? They learn about their own internal moral compass as they get to articulate their thoughts and their preferences. And they see how they can be very different from others, yet still understand other people's values and hope that other people will understand theirs. And as I say, next week, we're going to be looking at some more ideas and how to move from that sheet of concepts or maybe that messy kind of scribble of ideas and colour into a potted version and how we can draw that up. So let me know your ideas and what's worked for you and where you've got stuck or where you'd like some help. If you've enjoyed this idea, do grab the book Parenting for Life. It's on at a special price for you, my listener. You can either go to my blog and find it, which is www.thecourageousmama.com and you'll also find the script from this week's podcast or you can just email me directly at madelinestanny at icloud.com and I'll pop a book in the post to you. The postage is free. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week.